the first time that I can remember really closely examining today's lesson from Isaiah was, well, it's getting close to 25 years ago. After I began officially discerning God's call on uh, calling me to full-time ministry. That process officially began when I spoke to my local church pastor and I was told, read the Red Book and then let's make an appointment to talk further. The actual title of the Red Book is Christian, the Christian as Minister. It was a great place to start because you see, all Christians are called to ministry, all of us. And all Christians are ministers, all of us. Yet, not everyone is called to full-time or even pastoral ministry. And this book examined many, many opportunities for full-time ministry in and beyond the church. But there's another reason why that book was such a great resource for me. You see, I was struggling with my call. Yes, I was pretty sure that God was calling me, but I was wondering why. Why me? I'm a businessman, and, and I'm an entrepreneur. Why, Lord, are you calling me? Plus, I wasn't quite sure where God was calling me to go, even though I was pretty sure that I was being called to pastoral ministry. After reading that book, meeting with my pastor, then meeting with the staff parish relations committee at the local church, I was invited to meet with the district committee of ordained ministry to talk more about my call. And at that meeting, I told the committee that I felt compelled, compelled to pursue what I suspected was a call to pastoral ministry. And while I had tried to resist I just felt like I couldn't any longer. I couldn't resist God's call any longer. And the strangest thing happened at that meeting. Instead of throwing me to the curb, they approved me as an inquiring candidate and they gave me a mentor, the Reverend George Knees. And we began to work through not the red book, but the purple book, a workbook that all inquiring candidates complete with the help of a mentor, maybe over five or six or perhaps even more sessions. Understanding God's Call is the name of that purple book. And that book has lots of things for the inquiring candidate to, to examine about their own experiences, their own life, their family life, but also certainly scripture as well. And one of the first things that you examine in that book is the call stories in Scripture, including the amazing call story of Isaiah that we read earlier today. In it, Isaiah has a vision that is so clear that he gives it a chronological marker in the year, it happened in the year that King Uzziah died. But Isaiah's experience was not just a theophany or the scene of God's presence. It was God calling him to ministry as a prophet. And in his vision, 
Isaiah sees the Lord on the throne, surrounded by seraphs. While flying, one of the great creatures calls to the other and says, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And at the sound of this voice, the temple shakes and fills with smoke, and, and Isaiah responds as most biblical characters do when they have a theophany. He is awestruck. He says, woe is me, I am lost, for I am a man of unclean lips. A seraph flies to him with a hot coal and touches his mouth and his lips, and a cleansing by fire happens that blots out his guilt and his sin. And then Isaiah hears the Lord, whom shall I send? And freshly absolved and relieved of guilt, Isaiah says, Here I am, send me. The account in Isaiah 6 can be seen as a crisis event in Isaiah's life as he bears his soul before the Lord. But more than that is a profound experience of all in wonder as he encounters the divine. Have you ever experienced such awe? Have you ascribed to the Lord glory and strength as David directs us in Psalm 29? Have you heard the voice of the Lord over the waters as you've walked along a shoreline of a great ocean as it extended far, far beyond the horizon? Have you heard the voice of God thunder? How about the still, small voice that can rock your soul? In 1 Kings chapter 19, the prophet Elijah describes it as a sound of sheer silence. Maybe you've heard that sound of sheer silence on a mountaintop in Shenandoah National Park as seemingly countless peaks are out in the distance under a sunset. It's in a place like those that, that I have, have simultaneously experienced being feeling so very, very tiny compared to all of God's creation and even smaller compared to the glory of God. But it's also in those times that I have experienced the assurance of God's great and unconditional love and, and care for me. That's all. Theologian Frederick Buchner writes about experiencing such all. I remember seeing a forest of giant redwoods for the first time. There were some small children nearby giggling and chattering and pushing each other around, but nobody had to tell them to quiet down as we entered. They quieted down all by themselves. Everybody did. You couldn't hear a sound of any kind. It was like coming into a vast empty room. Two or three hundred feet high, the, the redwoods stood. You had to crane 
your neck back as far as it would go to see the leaves at the top. The trees made their own twilight out of the bright California day. There was stillness and stateliness about them that seemed to become part of you as you stood there, stunned by the sight of them. They had been growing in that place for going on 2,000 years. With infinite care, they are growing even now. You could feel them doing it. They made you realize that all your life you had been mistaken. Oaks and ashes, maples and chestnuts and elms, you had seen for as long as you could remember. But never until this moment had you so much as dreamed what a tree really was. That's all. Never until this moment had you so much as dreamed what a tree really was. I've never been to a redwood forest, but that description has made me add it to my bucket list. How about you? Anybody ready for a road trip? Yeah? But as glorious as a redwood forest must be, it does not compare to the majesty of God, the creator of all things. Rabbi Abraham Joshua Herschel, a leading Jewish theologian, philosopher, and a political activist during the 20th century, insisted that all is critical for not taking the world for granted and thus losing the ability to experience it with depth and reverence. Thus all is not only a pathway to knowledge, he says, but all is also a pathway to wisdom and to Almighty God. Yet we live, it seems, in an age that, that we don't let much all us. We take for granted wonders that previous generations would have marveled at. But all still happens, usually unexpectedly. And while we can't create all or purchase all at Target and yet not even Amazon, we can still learn to recognize it. And we can discover, we can seek to discover what it may be telling us when all happens to us. Something directly spiritual is going on when we feel awe, whether we recognize it or not. Even if we don't believe in God, something deeply spiritual is happening. Even if we don't understand that Jesus Christ shows us the great love of God for all people throughout the world. All creates a paradigm shift. From the world is all about me to the world is larger than me. And even this is God's world. This is what David is writing about in Psalm 29. Ascribe to the Lord, O heavenly beings. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory of his name worship the Lord in holy splendor nothing and no one are more worthy of our all 
than Almighty God. And God, in the power of the Holy Spirit, uses various gateways to come into our lives and to bring us renewal. All is one of those gateways. We would call it, as United Methodists, a, a means of grace. It allows us to sense possibilities that we had never imagined before. Certainly, it's very useful in scientific research, but, but it also draws us into God's mysterious presence and assures us that we are known by Almighty God. But all also says to you and me, this is life beyond what I have ever known before. It opens us up to God, who is the source of love and faith and a hope that is deeper than we have ever known or imagined. It guides us to declare like David in Psalm 139, for it was you who formed my inward parts. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. When we are awestruck, it's a good idea to consider what God might be saying to us through that emotion and to be aware that a shift may be coming or being called for in our life. Of course, Isaiah wasn't walking along a shoreline, and he wasn't sitting on a high peak when he saw and heard the Lord. He was in the temple. He was seeking God's presence when the Spirit moved, just like we are in God's temple today, and we are gathered whether we're here in the sanctuary or we are coming and, and worshiping through the live stream, we are gathered in God's temple. The Holy Spirit, you see, is still moving and working to continually transform us, even though we often resist it. Being born and reborn in the Spirit is never easy. It can be an uncomfortable process. All we need to do is ask Isaiah. But it brings something new and important into our lives. In the last week, you may have heard the story of Timothy Harrison. Harrison had just completed his senior year of high school at Woodlawn High in Birmingham, Alabama, and he was set to graduate on May the 27th. But instead of going to his graduation ceremony, he went to work at the local Waffle House where he had been working for about a month. When Harrison arrived, his manager was surprised. He wasn't on the schedule, and he asked Harrison, why aren't you going to your graduation? And Harrison replied, I don't want to miss work. Well, that wasn't exactly the truth. Because you see, Harrison didn't have a ride to the location of the ceremony. He didn't have the proper clothes. He didn't have a cap and a gown. Another co-worker asked, what do we need to do? 
the Waffle House team banded together buying Harrison dress clothes and including slacks and a, a dress shirt and a tie. They raced to the high school to get him a cap and a gown and a ticket to graduation. And then they drove him 20 miles across town to that hall where the ceremony was being held. They got there just in time. Harrison was in awe because of the loving actions of his co-workers of the Waffle House. And when he put on those new clothes in his graduation robe, it was a transformative experience. He said, when I put on the clothes, that was a different feeling. I don't even know the words. A million dollars? It was the best feeling. One co-worker shared to see his face when he came out after graduation. Now that was priceless. All is still breaking into this world. But the story of Timothy Harrison didn't end with commencement. It's still going on. After Harrison's story went viral, Lawson State Community College offered him a full scholarship, including books. And he says, to know that I have a path to go somewhere, that's something new. Yes, it's something new. It's all. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. May we be reminded that we are not only being made new in the spirit, but we are being called to put on Christ, the new clothes of Jesus Christ, and we are being called by God to God's work of renewal in this world. What do we need to respond and to participate in this work? We need hearts open to be reborn and reshaped, to be made new in the Spirit. We need eyes to see the needs around us, we need to trust in the Lord, to ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Yes, the Spirit is still moving. The Spirit is still offering us grace. May we respond in love and like Isaiah, may our cry be, Lord, here I am. Send me. And all God's people said, Amen.